This is the Muscles and Management Podcast, where we build your body and your business. Talking all things training, sports performance, and business for athletes and aspiring coaches to enhance your training and better your career. Muscles and Management is brought to you by Challenger Strength with your host, Jerry DeFilippo. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 97 of the Muscles and Management Podcast. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. I appreciate it as always. Uh, really excited today. Um, Meathead Monday, obviously, been really enjoying these. Uh, have a couple cool announcements, things coming up. The first thing I want to say is I always throw the rate, review, and subscribe thing in the beginning of the episode because I just feel like it's become a formality at this point. But if you could actually like go and do it, it'd be really nice. Um, and I'd appreciate it. They, they help get the show recognition and, and more people to see it and stuff like that. So if you could take a second and go uh, throw a rating on there, even if you don't want to write a review and you want to just give it a five-star real quick, that'd be huge and I would appreciate it. So if you've gotten any type of help from this show or enjoy it, you know, listen weekly or whatever, and you haven't done that yet, I'd really, really appreciate it if you could just take the time on iTunes to go and do that. So thank you. Um, on the announcement side of things, just released the new uh, Fuel Your Performance. Actually, I'm going to butcher this name, so let me actually look it up. Um, Fuel Your Strength Performance Kit ebook. Uh, Julian put that together. Really excited. As I mentioned, I want to start putting some more stuff out from him and, and getting what he does out there to you guys and letting you know kind of what he does and continue to build on that. So really excited for that. It's free and it's quality. Like what he's putting out there is better than what people are charging a lot of money for. And it's when it's not that high of a quality. So, uh, it's 11 pages, which is cool because it's like succinct and to the point, but it's giving you information on, you know, an athlete grocery list and things to look for when it comes to what you should be eating and looking for when you shop. Uh, pre and post training guidelines. So I know those are a lot of questions athletes always have. What should I eat after I train, before I train, you know, in between my sport and my training? Like, what, what do I look for when it comes to that? What do I have in the morning? What should my, my dinner be? Um, you know, how should my nutrition be centered and structured around my training? So a lot of those questions will be answered. Oh, and, and hydration as well is, is a big one that's going to be answered as well. So, uh, I, just released that. We just released that last night uh, around 6.30 Eastern time. So go check it out and download it. It's free. Uh, can't stress that enough. It should be. It should cost money. That's how good it is. So it's free. So check that out for sure. Um, another announcement as well. I, I kind of put a tweet out Friday. I was just kind of like brainstorming and thinking about some stuff. And I had a thought pop up like, man, it'd be cool one day to like teach a business for strength coaches course at like a college um, for exercise science majors. Uh, you know, I think it's something that's neglected or not featured in a lot of programs for either coaches that are going in the private sector, even if you're not going in the private sector, like how do you market yourself as a coach trying to go through um, the ranks and get jobs with schools? Like how do you make yourself seem appealing on social media? Social media is a place now where you can get hired and be found by a lot of organizations or, or schools. Um, how do you go about doing that? How do you build up your reputation? How do you post? Like, what's the most effective way to do it? Things to look for, uh, the money side of things. If you are in the private sector, like determining prices for what you charge, how to go through all that type of stuff and structure all of it. Um, in, in terms of billing, the, obviously the marketing side of stuff would be huge, but a lot of that type of stuff that I don't really teach you in these, these exercise science courses, not that I would know because I didn't go through one, but, um, from what I've heard from a lot of strength coaches. So that got a lot of feedback in terms of like people being like, dude, you should make a course out of this. So it's something I'm going to consider and I'm going to continue to try to gauge, uh, Twitter interest in terms of like my followers and what you guys want. So be on the lookout for some stuff about that, like questions and things. Cause I want to figure out if it's worth it to do it. And if, 
if I do, how it should be done and, and the, the format of that. So um, pretty excited on like what that could end up being, but we'll see. Uh, not to ramble on too much so I can get to the conversation for today, but previous episodes, we had Matt Shadid, episode 93 from not uh, this past Wednesday, the one before that. He was great, uh, director of sports performance at uh, UMass, so check him out if you haven't yet. And that episode, Meathead Monday from last week, episode 94, we had uh, you know just a good Q&A on a lot of fundamental areas looking at uh, everything you know related to uh, importance of you know sprinting for all athletes. Uh, I actually want to correct myself. I said episode 93 for Matcha D. That was episode 94. Yeah, I'm sorry. 94. The Meathead Monday was episode 95. And, you know, the episode uh, last Wednesday with Carlton Salters, which I was just about to say is 96. But yeah, the Meathead Monday, importance of sprinting for all athletes, improving vertical jumps and a lot of things like that. And then, as I just said, uh, Wednesday, episode 96, I had University of Texas at San Antonio softball hitting coach Carlton Salters back on the show. Uh, great first episode with him, and this one was just as good, talking about the mechanical and strength conditioning elements of building hitters and just the importance of strength conditioning when it comes to sport movements overall. So he's a great guy and very smart. Check that out if you haven't yet. Coming up this week, fitting due to the release of the ebook uh, Sunday, we have Julian coming on on Wednesday to talk all things nutrition. Really excited for that. I loved how that episode came out, so look forward to that. Uh, Mike Whiteman will be the week after that, known as Hound Strength on uh, on Twitter, social media, runs the strength training for the uh, that soccer organization. Very, very smart guy, makes things easy to understand, and someone that I'm really excited to have on the show. And then an absolute industry legend in Lee Taft the week after that. And we're sprinkling some Meathead Mondays in between those, as you guys know. So we're rolling, a lot of good stuff coming up. And as I said, don't make me beg. Please throw some ratings if you can. Um, all right, so... I wanted to talk today about uh, something that I've been thinking a lot about and the idea of, yeah, I've talked a lot about bringing training closer to sport, but looking at it from the lens of like when you should do it and like when is it maybe too early to think about this, right? I've had several parents ask me about training uh, for specific metrics with younger athletes. Like let's just say you have a, a 12 or 13 or even 14-year-old baseball player who's just getting stronger generally or who just needs to get stronger and faster generally in their training and saying like, hey... Um, I want to improve their bat speed or their exit velocity, right? And it's like, well, do I really want to go out and directly work on those things like, oh, rotation, 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 or do I want to spend more time saying, okay, this athlete has a low training age and has barely trained before, you know, should we just focus on general strength and speed training to help those metrics? It's not only going to help the metrics themselves, but it's always, it's also going to just help the athlete in general and building that base for them in terms of their athletic performance, Um, you know. How much would that stuff help them in those metrics just because they haven't done them before and those are the base of those metrics? Um, you know, thinking along the lines of how ridiculous it would be to like get a magnifying glass to like view a giant boulder. You just don't need it. Like it's right in front of you. It's easy. You could see it. Um, the athlete, like I like to think of athletes as like ice sculptures. When you get an athlete who's never trained before, they're a big square block of ice. Any little type of thing you do with your chisel is going to chip some ice off of that in terms of making an adaptation or getting an adaptation. So why would I want to go absolutely crazy and get super zoned in? Like it's a, you know, a really shaved down worked on ice sculpture aka a trained athlete who's been in training for you know several years when I could just do easy things to get results and that's how I look at it um so I guess the, the short answer to the question of like should we focus on more of the general things early on is, is yes um when it comes to athletes with really low training age we have to understand that 
basic adaptations mostly related to improving speed and strength. So like lower body strength with general movements, uh, general sprinting, they're going to achieve a great deal with just doing those things when it comes to their specific sport activities. Um, you know, we, what would we consider or what we would consider uh, elementary type things in terms of strength training is they're actually a really big part of complex movement. So what I mean by that is like, you look at just improving general lower body strength, general lower body speed, upper body strength, uh, relative strength overall, right? Like how strong you are relative to your body size. Those things, like we see things like rotation, for example, and because the athlete is rotating and rotation is a big part of it, we think of going right towards rotation, like attack rotation, right? Make get them better at rotating in uh, training, especially when they're younger. And it's like, well, yeah, like I, I, I understand like good for you for realizing that, that the rotation is important and you want to work on that. That's the first step, right? But let's take a step back and say, well, we also know that when it comes to rotation, that the legs and the overall strength of the legs and the core, the uh, stability of their core is really, really huge. Um, like if you look at a young baseball player who wanted to improve their exit velo or rotation score, the lower half, um, you know, in terms of vertical power and general core stability play a huge role in that, right? Like transferring energy up from the ground, rotation starts from the ground, uh, you know, taking all of that power and being able to transfer it into rotation is huge. And if I have a young athlete who has a low exit velocity score, just getting them stronger and making their core uh, better at stability in terms of like keeping their pelvis neutral and all that type of stuff, that's going to do so much for them. Like you could take an athlete that's 12 or 13 with a 70 mile an hour exit velo who's never strength trained before and not have them focus on rotation and training whatsoever in terms of strength training whatsoever for like six months, just get their legs stronger and do a lot of like farmer's carries and Palov press holds and planks and things like that. And you're going to see a just or just compound movements in general. You're going to see a huge increase in their exit velocity just from those basic things themselves versus having an 11 or 12 year old like on a Kaiser, um, on a cable machine doing rotation. It's like, yeah, rotation is important, but they're rotating enough as it is in their practice. And it's like, you know, why would we zone in so much? Like, think about that Ipe sculpture. Why am I going to get my, my chisel and my hammer out and stare at the thing for three hours and like find the exact perfect spot to like zone in and, and hammer away at it? And then once we get there, it's like, okay, I have this gigantic block. I've done nothing to uh, take care of every other part of it to get to where I want to be, but yet I'm going to zone in and like try to go after this one little spot. Like, how much of a waste of time that is versus, okay. I have this giant block, like let's do the regular things, like let's shave it down a little bit on the side, start to get it rounder, um, and that'd be the equivalent of like doing general lower body strength training and core stability. That's going to do so much for setting us up for the future uh, more than zoning in will right away. Not only do we not have to zone in right away, we have to understand the pitfalls of doing so. If I'm not going to build up any of those lower body or general things, and I'm going to go right to the uh, what I think is the premise of that activity, I'm really leaving a lot of holes for the rest of what I do. And additionally, I can get a lot of improvement in a basic sense out of the more specific things by improving the general things that are underneath it and supporting it, right? So like lower half power and core stability are those supporting areas of rotation, like specific rotational abilities on like the cherry on top of that, so to speak, but I need a cake first, right? Um, you know, having barely trained at all on those general things before and then doing those in a, in a strength conditioning program is going to help immensely, Right. Uh, that's going to do far more for them than, like I said, than zoning in on a super small element like rotation, which may help a little bit. 
But those broader attributes are not only going to help that specific thing like that rotational score. It's going to help everything else that that athlete needs, which are probably all needs. Like that same athlete with 70 miles an hour on the exit velo probably needs to get faster. The, the lower body is going to help that. Um, they probably want to, you know, move a little better in the field, right? Getting their core uh, working under loads and, and with proper movements going to help that. Like they want to get more agile. Like let's build all of those things and bring the tide up that's going to raise all the boats at the marina versus trying to build a specific lift for that one boat to just lift it up a little out of the water, raise the tide up, raise all the boats, and then we go from there. Um, another example if I want to get a 12-year-old better at a vertical jump, it's going to be pretty basic, like just have them strength train and, and do box jumps, um, you know, get them better at loading and actually jumping and get them stronger. You know, I can look like I have no problem force velocity profiling a 12-year-old. It takes two seconds. Like you get them on a vert mat, you have them jump, and then you have them put their hands on their hips and do a static jump. I, from my experience, I could tell you all of them have a pretty standard difference between um, those two numbers. As they start to get a little older and they've strength trained a little more, like for example, a 14 year old that I've worked with that I know has done a lot of strength training since he was like 12, he got started early. Maybe I can move into a little more of like velocity for him, for example, or like the athlete that's done a lot of box jumps or jump training with a trainer. And then they come to me and they've yearly done minimal strength training. Then I can look at that guy and say, okay, like buddy, you're 12 or 13, whatever you're young, but maybe I could focus a little more on strength training if I know your history, right? If they've never done anything or even if they've done a little bit, basics of both areas are going to be super beneficial. Like I know right away without any testing, if I have an athlete who's 12 or 13 and wants to get their vertical up and they've barely ever trained before, if they just jump with basic jumps routinely and get their lower body stronger, that number is going to go up. I know that, you know, both those general qualities will be huge for all areas of their athletic development and also get their jump higher. I don't need to like look at a 12 year old and say, okay, like only uh, 65% body weight jumps uh, you know, for your jumps, cause you have uh, a propensity to not use force in your jump. Like he's 12. He just needs to learn how to jump. Like let's, let's get that figured out first. And that's going to boost your vertical up so, so, so much without getting super, super crazy specific and just help all the areas of their development. Um, all right. So what does this all mean? I guess what you can really say when it comes to this, like in terms of like what I'm trying to say is my message is Young athletes should be allowed to get as much as they can out of the basic areas in terms of like what we can improve with the rudimentary things of strength conditioning. Um, you know, teaching proper mechanics and progressive loading with strength movements can do wonders for mobility and overall movement quality. Like before I have a, a 12 year old sit there and do like a full body movement routine or, you know, test them in the FMS 16 times over the course of two months, like, Put a, a kettlebell in their hand and let them learn how to do a proper goblet squat, um, learn how to hinge against the wall and then a hinge without a wall, we'll go from a goblet squat to a front squat, like let them go through lunges, uh, let them sprint, let them jump, like that's going to clean up anything you see with movement so, so, so easily in terms of stability, like getting through ranges of motion with a load and, and doing them the right way. It's going to do way more than any movement routine will do for them. And it just, it's, it's bang for your buck, right? Like you don't have six days a week to train a lot of these kids. Like before I have a guy sit there and like hold a, a static ankle stretch and retest them in the FMS every week, like let me just put them through a proper strength training program with progressive overload and make sure their mechanics are quality. It's going to just do so much for them. Um, basic speed training and sprints and plyometric training jumps can do so much for phys the physiological components of agility. Um, you know, emphasizing proper landing mechanics with plyometrics in addition to, um, you know, 
strength training and, and a focus on eccentrics is going to do so much for their ability to decelerate, uh, keep them healthy. But as we know, for the physiological components of agility, ability to decelerate is huge. And then acceleration and top speed acceleration being for like, you know, moving from left to right, having to stop and then start again, basic speed training and acceleration is going to also be huge for agility. So not only are you working on this, the, the actual speed and the jumping ability, but that alone in a basic sense is going to do so much more for their, uh, their agility and the physiological components of it. Let them play their sport and continue to get that random stimulus of the environment and the people around them and focus on as best we can, those physiological components versus having somebody like try to catch blinking lights or, um, you know, move their feet really quickly through a ladder. Like a lot of these parents want to see that real quick with a guru who does that type of stuff. But it's like they need to just get better with controlling their body, proprioception in space, do that in their sport and then improve the actual ability of their limbs to be like fast and produce power and like control their body weight. And it's going to do so much for them. And then lastly, uh, rotational or more advanced movements aren't purely built on that alone. Um, I, I, Kyle Rogers posted a great thought provoking tweet on this this past week talking about like, you know, why would we just use light med balls to produce rotational power? Um, there's so much more to rotation than just rotation itself. Like seeing the lower half, um, you know, the vertical power increase in terms of what I've seen it do for golfers, the general strength increase in terms of what I've seen it do for young athletes and their exit velo, like not working on rotation whatsoever for a while and just getting stronger in the lower half and making their core stability a little bit better and things like that has done so, so much um, overall for those type of activities. So just know that those basic things can go so far. So if I'm saying that though, like, you're looking at me like, how do I know when we can try to zone in a little more? I think the easiest way above all else and, and you know, with today's day and age it makes it so easy with athletes being exposed to their numbers all the time with their sport coaches. Like, look at those metrics, those sport metrics. Are they continuing to improve? If they are, keep at it. Um, if they're slowing down or they're not going up, like, let's begin to look at the basics, you know, what level we have them at and, you know, if we should begin to look at other things. So an example, like, if my deadlift is only 175 pounds or if an athlete's deadlift is only 175 pounds and I get it to like 300, 350, 400, I'm seeing a huge increase in vertical, right? Like really big bat speeds going up, everything, right? But then I go from 400 to 450 and the change is kind of minimal. Maybe we can start to get more specific with planes and rotational work and things like that. Um, you know, maybe less strength specific training, like all just strength work, maybe more power, more velocity, right? That's a super, super easy way that doesn't need a fancy test. It's just logic. Like see if the improvements you're seeing and the things you're doing in the weight room, if they yielded a big change early on, but then now they're starting to yield less of a change. Okay. Then maybe we need to just make something else happen or start to focus on other things, right? Maybe we need to make sure that they're actually efficiently moving and using all of that strength and power. If that's the issue, maybe the strength, you know, isn't being expressed in that short of a rapid motion or that short of a time in that rapid movement. Like we got to look at that. Those are things we need to look at. It's very easy. Don't overthink it. Uh, another example, your vertical is 17 inches. Um, you know, you do simple box jumps and strength work for a year. It goes up to 24 inches. But the other side of it is it only goes up maybe to 25 inches over the next four to six months. So maybe it's time to look into what specifics you need to improve in your jump, like more speed or strength work, loaded jumps, etc. Like you can do the force velocity profiling to re- realize that. But I know that odds are if I have a young athlete with a 17 inch vertical and we just do general strength training and general plyometrics, it's going to go up a lot just because they're young and they need all of those things and they're going to become more athletic and move their body a little bit better. And that's all going to help. Once we cross that threshold and it's a little higher, 
you know, maybe just throwing water in those buckets in a broad sense isn't going to be uh, as effective. And I actually have to take one of those specific buckets and fill it up a little more to move the needle, you know, even further. Um, I think having good testing protocol and, and ways to, you know, see where these numbers are going is going to be huge as well. So like, I don't necessarily think you need to like make your testing like the Olympics, like it's this big drawn out day. I like doing that sometimes because it gives the athletes something to look forward to and it's exciting for them. But like, if you're tracking main movements, like if you, if you do the squat for your lower body and the bench for your upper body and, um, box jumps and you track how high of a box you're using with good form week by week and you're testing your sprint speed with, with the timer and all that kind of stuff, like see where those metrics are going. And if you see that the metrics are, you know, the needle's not moving as much as they were beforehand and you see the basics aren't moving the needle as much as they were previously, you can start to make, um, changes based on that, right? So, if you have a simple protocol like that and you look at the logic and the simple things and you're tracking things week by week, it's really easy. And this is another huge key too. look at the past training of an athlete. Like what have they done before they've seen you? How long have they done it? Like that's like the first one of the first questions I'll ask on my remote athlete training questionnaire is like, how much have these athletes done before they've come to me? What have they done before they come to me? Like what's gotten them the results or lack thereof up to this point? And like, what does that mean for me going forward? Like, I think it's huge that we determine that. And then once we decide we want to get more specific, I guess, you know, it comes down to where do we go from here and how do we actually get specific? And I've talked about this before, so I'll keep it pretty short, but like that principle of dynamic correspondence, right? Like you pick the sport actions you want to improve and just determine all of the following areas. Like where, how fast is the force being applied? It's a baseball swing. So I have a a short amount of time to produce a lot of force. So maybe I have to start making my activities a little more faster, a little more power based, um, excuse me, what planes of motion am I working in? Like baseball, transverse, frontal, like maybe just the regular sagittal or or vertical or horizontal work that I'm doing is it got me to a good point. But now to go the step further, I really have to start moving in a, uh, the frontal plane and start doing more rotational specific activity or things like that. Um, you know, aside from just the plane of motion and how much force we're applying, it could be, you know, energy systems, uh, the muscle groups we're using. So, you know, I improved my general lower body and it got me to a certain point, but I realized as a skater that I need to worry about my adductors and my external hip rotators and and things like that. Um, you know, seeing the different ways that you can start to zone in, um, you know, once you've crossed a certain threshold of progress, I think is huge. And I think the biggest thing to take away from this is just keep it simple early on and get as much as you can out of those things. If that athlete has a very low training age. And then as you go from there, if you're keeping in touch with things week by week and where they're going and, um, you know, staying on them in terms of getting feedback on where their numbers are in their sport. Like I have a golfer and we've done a lot of basic, just getting his lower body stronger. Like I know his deadlift's not going to set the world on fire. It was 295 and now 355. I could probably assume that another hundred pounds on there would also still help him and I've seen that his his drive has gone from 240 to 280 but if I get to 425 on his deadlift or I'm sorry if I get to 400 on his deadlift and he's around 290 on his drive and then I get his deadlift to 430 and it goes up five yards okay maybe it's time to start looking at some other things right that's the basic way just keep your hand on the pulse and don't try to zone in a lot right away, especially if you have a younger athlete, get them better at those basics. Use the basics of a good trend and conditioning program to get improvement. And we will then go from there. Don't make it harder than it has to be. Have a good idea of what you're tracking and track things and know like, you know, you have a system to show you what the next move needs to be to help you make a decision. And you just go from there. And then remember when it's time to get more specific, 
make it simple, the wave force is being applied, the planes of motion, the energy systems, the muscles used, right? Don't try to directly maybe mimic something, uh, a movement in the weight room right away. You're better off looking at all of those aspects of the movement globally and seeing how we can work on those specifics of those areas to make improvements. So, um, you know, I hope that was helpful for you guys. It was something I wanted to talk about for sure. And I think it's a key issue in terms of strength training today. And that needs to be discussed. Um, you know, look forward to being back with you guys on Wednesday with Julian. I know you guys are going to love that episode. Go grab that ebook if you haven't yet. And as I said in the beginning of the show, don't make me grovel. Go leave me a rating if you haven't yet. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. So I will talk to you guys Wednesday. As always, uh, I enjoyed speaking with you guys and hope you got something out of this. Until next time, peace. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Muscles and Management Podcast brought to you by Challenger Strength. I'm your host, Jared Filippo, signing off on the show that's changing the way we view training, sports performance, and business.